Section 14 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 14. Arrival from Delaware, 1858. Theophilus Collins, Andrew Jackson Boyce, Handy Burton, and Robert Jackson. A desperate bloody struggle, gun, knife, and fire shovel used by an infuriated master. Judged from their outward appearance, as well as from the fact that they were from the neighboring state of Delaware, no extraordinary revelations were looked for from the above-named party. It was found, however, that one of their number, at least, had a sad tale of outrage and cruelty to relate. The facts stated are as follows. Theophilus is twenty-four years of age, dark, height and stature hardly medium, with faculties only about average compared with ordinary fugitives from Delaware and Maryland. His appearance is in no way remarkable. His bearing is subdued and modest, yet he is not lacking in earnestness, says Theophilus. I was in servitude under a man named Houston, near Lewes, Delaware. He was a very mean man. He didn't allow you enough to eat, nor enough clothes to wear. He never allowed a drop of tea or coffee or sugar, and if you didn't eat your breakfast before day, he wouldn't allow you any, but would drive you out without any. He had a wife. She was mean, too, meaner than he was. Four years ago last fall, my master cut my entrails out for going to meet at Daniel Wesley's church one Sabbath night. Before day, Monday morning, he called me up to whip me, called me into his dining room, locked the doors, then ordered me to pull off my shirt. I told him, no, sir, I wouldn't. Right away he went and got the cowhide and gave me about twenty over my head with the butt. He tore my shirt off after I would not pull it off. He ordered me to cross my hands. I didn't do that. After I wouldn't do that, he went and got his gun and broke the breech of that over my head. He then seized up the fire tongs and struck me over the head ever so often. The next thing he took was the parlor shovel and he beat on me with that till he broke the handle. Then he took the blade and stove it at my head with all his might. I told him that I was bound to come out of that room. He run up to the door and drawed his knife and told me if I ventured to the door he would stab me. I never made it any better or worse, but aimed straight for the door. But before I reached it he stabbed me, drawing the knife, a common pocket knife, as hard as he could rip across my stomach. Right away he began stabbing me about my head. Marks were plainly to be seen. After a desperate struggle, Theophilus succeeded in getting out of the building. I started, said he, at once for Georgetown, carrying a part of my entrails in my hands for the whole journey, sixteen miles. I went to my young masters, and they took me to an old colored woman called Judah Smith, and for five days and nights I was under treatment of Dr. Henry Moore, Dr. Charles Henry Richards, and Dr. William Newall. All these attended me. I was not expected to live for a long time, but the doctors cured me at last. Andrew reported that he fled from Dr. David Houston. I left because of my master's meanness to me. He was a very mean man to his servants, said Andrew, and I got so tired of him I couldn't stand him any longer. Andrew was about twenty-six years of age, ordinary size, color brown, and was entitled to his freedom, but knew not how to secure it by law, so resorted to the Underground Railroad method. 
Handy, another of this party, said that he left because the man who claimed to be his master was so hard. The man by whom he had been wronged was known where he came from by the name of Shepherd Burton, and was in the farming business. He was a churchman, said Handy, but he never allowed me to go to church a half-dozen times in my life. Robert belonged to Mrs. Mary Hickman. At least she had him in her possession, and reaped the benefit of his hire, and enjoyed the leisure and ease thereof while he toiled. For some time prior to his leaving, this had been a thorn in his side, hard to bear. So when an opening presented itself by which he thought he could better his condition, he was ready to try the experiment. He, however, felt that, while she would not have him to look to for support, she would not be without sympathy, as she was a member of the Episcopal Church. Besides, she was an old-looking woman, and might not need his help a great while longer. Arrival from Richmond, 1859, Stepney Brown. Stepney was an extraordinary man, his countenance indicating great goodness of heart, and his gratitude to his heavenly father for his deliverance proved that he was fully aware of the source whence his help had come. Being a man of excellent natural gifts, as well as of religious fervor and devotion to a remarkable degree, he seemed admirably fitted to represent the slave in chains, looking up to God with an eye of faith, and again the fugitive in Canada, triumphant and rejoicing with joy unspeakable over his deliverance, yet not forgetting those in bonds as bound with them. The beauty of an unshakable faith in the good Father above could scarcely have shone with a brighter luster than was seen in this simple-hearted believer. Stepney was thirty-four years of age, tall, slender, and of a dark hue. He readily confessed that he fled from Mrs. Julia A. Mitchell of Richmond, and testified that she was decidedly stingy and unkind, although a member of St. Paul's Church. Still, he was wholly free from acrimony, and even in recounting his sufferings was filled with charity towards his oppressors. He said, I was moved to leave because I believed that I had a right to be a free man. He was a member of the Second Baptist Church, and entertained strong faith that certain infirmities, which had followed him through life up to within seven years of the time of his escape, had all been removed through the Spirit of the Lord. He had been an eyewitness to many outrages inflicted on his fellow men, but he spoke more of the sufferings of others than his own. His stay was brief but interesting. After his arrival in Canada, he turned his attention to industrial pursuits, and cherished his loved idea that the Lord was very good to him. Occasionally he would write to express his gratitude to God and man, and to inquire about friends in different localities, especially those in bonds. The following letters are specimens, and speak for themselves. Clifton House, Niagara Falls, August the 27th. Dear Brother, It is with pleasure I take my pen in hand to write a few lines to inform you that I am well, hoping these few lines may find you the same. I am longing to hear from you and your family. I wish you would say to Julius Anderson that he must really excuse me for not writing, but I am in hopes that he is doing well. I have not heard no news from Virginia. Please to send all the news. Say to Mrs. Hunt, and you also forever pray for me, knowing that God is so good to us. I have not seen Brother John Dungy for five months, but we have corresponded together, but he is doing well in Brantford. I am now at the falls, and have been on here some time, and I shall, with the help of the Lord, locate myself somewhere this winter, and go to school. 
Excuse me for not answer your letters sooner, knowing that I cannot write well. You please to send me one of the earliest papers. Send me word if any of our friends have been passing through. I know that you are very busy, but ask your little daughter if she will answer this letter for you. I often feel that I cannot turn God thanks enough for his blessings that he has bestoweth upon me. Say to Brother Sewell that he must not forget what God has consigned to his hand. To do that he must pray in his closet that God might teach him. Say to Mr. Anderson that I hope he have retrad and has seeked the Lord and found him precious to his own soul, for he must do it in this world, for he cannot do it in the world to come. I often think about the morning that I left your house. It was such a sad feeling, but still I have a hope in Christ. Do you think it is safe in Boston? My love to all, I remain your brother, Stepney Brown. Brantford, March 3rd, 1860. Mr. William Still, dear sir, I now take the pleasure of writing to you a few lines, right soon, hoping to find you enjoying perfect health as I am the same. My joy within is so great that I cannot find words to express it. When I met with my friend, Brother Dungey, who stopped at your house on his way to Canada, after having a long chase after me from Toronto to Hamilton, he at last found me in the town of Brantford, Canada, west. And ought we not to return Almighty God thanks for delivering us from the many dangers and trials that beset our path in this wicked world we live in? I have long been wanting to write to you but I entirely forgot the number of your house. Mr. Dungy luckily happened to have your directions with him. Religion is good when we live right. May God help you to pray often to him that he might receive you at the hour of your final departure. Yours most respectfully, Stepney Brown, per Jason A. Walk. P.S. Write as soon as possible, for I wish very much to hear from you. I understand that Mrs. Hunt has been to Richmond, Virginia. Be so kind as to ask her if she heard anything about that money. Give my love to all inquiring friends, and to your family especially. I now thank God that I have not lost a day in sickness since I came to Canada. Kiss the baby for me. I know you are busy, but I hope you will have time to write a few lines to me to let me know how you and your family are getting on. No more at present, but I am yours very truly. Stepney Brown, per Jace A. Walkinshaw. Brantford, October 25, 60. Dear Sir, I take the pleasure of dropping you a few lines. I am yet residing in Brantford, and I have been to work all this summer at the falls, and I have got along remarkably well. Surely God is good to those that put their trust in him. I suppose you have been wondering what has become of me, but I am in the lands of living, and long to hear from you and your family. I would have wrote sooner, but the times has been such in the States I have not but little news to send you, and I am going to school again this winter, and will you be pleased to send me word what has become of Julius Anderson, and the rest of my friends, and tell him I would write to him, if I knew where to direct the letter. Please send me word whether anybody has been along lately that knows me. I know that you are busy, but you must take time and answer this letter, as I am anxious to hear from you but nevertheless we must not forget our Maker, so we cannot pray too much to our Lord, so I hope that Mr. Anderson has found peace with God, for me myself really appreciate that hope that I have in Christ, for I often find myself in my slumber with you, and I hope we will meet some day. 
Mr. Dungy sends his love to you. I suppose you are aware that he is married. He is luckier than I am, or I must get a little foothold before I do marry, if I ever do. I am in a very comfortable room, all fixed for the winter, and we have had one snow. May the Lord be with you and all you and all your household. I remain forever your brother in Christ, Stepney Brown. End of section 14